Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the life and the freedom that we have. Thanks that we can gather together for this meal today, Lord. And I pray that you would open our hearts uh, to realize, to recognize, God, you're moving in our lives and in our world. Lord, what you've done at the cross for us, what that means for us and the hope we have for tomorrow. And uh, Jesus, as we look at Isaiah and Matthew, I pray that you would help us to string these things together to recognize how this is part of our own story, that you're inviting us into new life. Uh, so open our hearts, Lord, I pray, for your word. We just ask this in your name, Lord. Amen. Amen. So we're going to continue our, our series through Advent. I'm going to do a quick recap. We've been talking about uh, Jesus' arrival on earth as the king. The king is coming. Uh, and the king will return, we would say, as Christians now. Um, as we look at Isaiah, we see all these prophecies, all of this hope that Israel had for God to come to send a Messiah, someone who is going to come and set things to right. And in Matthew, we're seeing how Jesus is fulfilling all of Israel's ancient hopes. The first week, we talked about how Jesus is the king of like a new, a new day. We were looking at passages about where we're called to wake up and pay attention. The light has come. Put away darkness. Uh, come up to the mountain. Come up and learn from God. And in the second week, we talked about Jesus as the coming king of righteousness. How he comes to set things right. And our response is to repent. Get our own hearts right before him. And enter into what he calls us to do. And this third week, which is traditionally associated with joy through the Advent season, which is why one candle is pink and the rest are blue or purple. It's kind of the joy week, which is fitting because... Here we are going to have a big meal, often the mark of joy, which is great. But this week we're going to talk about what actually happens when God shows up. And both Isaiah and Matthew point to this. When Yahweh returns to his people, look at what happens. This is also a season of waiting. We've, we've recognized Christ has come. We, we can live in, in the fullness of his salvation. But we also recognize our world is not right there's things wrong. There's evil. There's brokenness. There's, there's pollution and disease and all kinds of corruption and all the rest of it. And we all know this. The problem is we also all contribute to it. Where none of us are perfect. We all contribute to the problem of the evil and the brokenness in the world. Um, so we're waiting. We can, we're waiting for God to finally come and set things to right. And in the meantime, between the first coming and the second coming, we can participate in God's vision for the world here and now today. And that comes First of all, giving our hearts to the Lord and entering into the life and the salvation that he has for us. I remember, though, a season of waiting, right? Christmas. As kids, you're waiting for the morning, right? When the presents open. This is it. Sometimes you get a Christmas Eve present. Very special. One time I got Lego, I remember. It's very, very good. Um, I remember when I was a teenager, some of my best friends had kind of moved away from home. And they were supposed to be coming back, coming to our house. And I remember that we had the couch kind of on the bay window. And I remember kind of being perched, many of you as kids, perched on the couch, look out the window, right? I remember being kind of perched over the couch, looking down the road, waiting for them to come. Waiting in anticipation for their arrival. Little did I know I was echoing all the themes of Isaiah and Matthew in my waiting for my cousins to show up. Waiting for them to come, waiting for when they show up, now the celebration begins, right? Once they arrive. And uh, later on, being married and, and being pregnant, we've been, we've been expecting children, I think at least once, 
twice, all three times. All of our kids, Sarah's been pregnant over Christmas, over Advent. And so it becomes like quite literally a season of waiting and preparation, right? We're getting things sorted. Actually, it was Christmas Eve last year that we were telling people that we were pregnant with well. And so that kind of memory came back to me even as I was thinking about Christmas and things this year going, oh my goodness, that was a year ago. And preparing for him to arrive, get a name sorted, right? Get a room sorted, hopefully. Um, you, you get you know things kind of lined up uh, for the child to come. This year, we're not expecting, don't worry, in case you thought that was a prelude. Yeah, surprise! Guess what? Not that I know of, anyway. Um, that would be a shock. Yeah, so not waiting for a, a new child, but some of you are. Um, this year, lots of you know my mom's been diagnosed with breast cancer, and so this year it's a waiting, it's a waiting of a different sort to find out what all that will be down the road. And waiting to hear from doctors and waiting on tests and that sort of thing. Some of you, your waitings look like that. Where it's a waiting that's different because it's sparked by grief or it's sparked by the passing of a loved one or it's sparked by difficulties in your own life and that Christmas is different now because of things that have happened in your life. But it's a season of waiting and anticipation. And the people of Israel were in that boat as they were waiting for God to show up. That same sort of spirit of waiting, eager for God to come because once God comes, once we get the news of his arrival, then life will change. Then we can enter into something, whatever God has for us. So if you have a Bible or you have a phone with a Bible app or whatever it might be, take a look at Isaiah 35. This is where I just want to land for a moment and talk about the things that happen when God shows up. What do we expect? What did Israel hope for? What was sort of on the agenda, so to speak? When God comes, this is what we can expect. Then we're going to flip to Matthew and see how that's fulfilled in Jesus. But I want you to notice just a couple things from Isaiah 35. Three things, actually. This is a, a passage that's full of hope for Judah, that God will not abandon them forever. Right now, the people would be in exile. So they've been just a mess <laughs> as a people. And they've broken covenant with God. They said, yes, we're going to follow you. We're going to obey your commands. It's going to be awesome. And then they turn around and consistently don't obey. You ever had kids like that? You know? um, they just don't listen time and time again. And over many, 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 many years, many kings, God finally says, okay, enough. And he lets them be deported into Babylon, into exile. And Isaiah is writing to tell them, listen, yes, God has acted justly for what you've done, for your sins, absolutely. But God will not leave you in that place of despair. And you need to hear this morning, if you are in a place of brokenness or feeling abandoned or feeling God doesn't like me, don't even know if he exists, um, but clearly he must not care for me because of X, Y, Z in my life, um, you are likely not deported from your home country in this moment. Likely you have a home to go to after this, I'm assuming. Even if you don't, you've got a good meal coming. So like that's something to be thankful for. Here's people who, they're, they're, they're refugees, right? Like they're basically being taken from their home. Um, and they're in a place of really feeling, where's God? Where's God in the midst of this? And maybe you felt that way. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to diminish the issues in your life, the problems in your life. But we, we do have it quite good, don't we? And yet we all face them as well. So anyway, here we are. These people are in a place of feeling very abandoned. 
And Isaiah writes them saying, listen, God will not leave you abandoned forever. There may be a season of, of walking through some hard stuff. There may be a season of walking through this feeling of being abandoned or loneliness or whatever it might be, but God will not give up on you. You need to hear that today, but that's God's heart. God doesn't give up on us. He continues to persevere and come after us because he loves us, because he really loves us. So Isaiah is saying, listen, God won't abandon you. God is going to return. And if you, if you know the Bible at all, in Ezekiel, God's presence leaves the temple. And the people are waiting. It's God's presence that sort of makes them Israel in many ways. And, and here's Isaiah saying, God's going to come back. And look what happens when he does. The first thing is this great sense of renewal. Let me read verse 1 to you, 35.1. It says, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. Picture in your head sort of a desert, right? All the cracks and everything. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. It'll blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. You get this image of sort of the dry, barren, empty. It's a picture of of the land, but it's also kind of a picture of the people and where they're at, right? Where they feel abandoned, dry, empty. They have nothing to give. And here's Isaiah saying, look it, there's going to be a day when God arrives and even the desert is going to start to blossom. And it may remind us too of a parallel image where once before God's people made their way in Exodus through a desert, right? They had to come through the desert on their way to a new home, on their way to the promised land. And here Isaiah is drawing the parallel saying, right now you're in wilderness, but you won't be in wilderness forever. You will move through that place and come to promised land. And again, for us this morning, perhaps you feel you are in wilderness place, or you've been meandering and wandering, and there doesn't seem to be a lot of life to you, whatever season you might be. And God says to you today, listen, the desert you are in will come a day when it will blossom. And the brokenness, and the sadness you feel now will end. And it's going to come as God comes and moves into that place in your life. It'll blossom abundantly. In the same way God's people, they're headed through another sort of wilderness, not necessarily geographical, but the wilderness of their own sin, which God has been dealing with. They're on their way to a new land, and yet here's something different. Now it's like the the desert land itself becoming the promised land. It's bursting into, into life. And it's full of this joy and abundance, almost like a homecoming. And the sense here is that this is actually the curse of Eden being reversed. The curse of the fall is getting reversed as God shows up. It's a little bit like what Paul talks about in Romans 8, 8, uh, 20-21. He says this, Creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. It's not great language. Liberated from the bondage to decay. It can't help but slowly fall apart and waste away and turn into wilderness and desert. But it will be liberated from that bondage to decay and brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. What causes that liberation to happen? It's the return of the Lord of life. We read that all through Isaiah, these passages, that as God shows up, it's almost like creation gets renewed 
and restored. So like I said, it's like a reversal of the curse of Eden. God is rescuing us from sin and evil. He wants to dwell with us. And that shifts then to not just be the renewal of his cosmos, but also a reassurance for the people, a deep sense of reassurance. Look at verse 4. He says, say to those who have an anxious heart. So not only is is this wilderness land going to be transformed as God shows up, but say to those who are currently anxious about where they're at in life, say to them, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. You might say, that sounds, I don't really like that. That doesn't seem great. Um, It's actually really good, depending on what side of the vengeance you're on, right? We'd like God to come and set things to right and deal with the brokenness and the injustices in the world. And often in the prophets, if you're on the wrong side of that, if you're the one causing the injustice, it's sort of like, well, watch out, because God's going to deal with something. He's going to deal with your heart. He's going to deal with what you've caused. That's not great. So you need to check, am I the one perpetuating injustice or not? That's the question for us as you read the prophets. So here, God's going to come and show up and deal with things. He's going to come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, but then here's the good news, he will come and save you. This is verse 4. So this great reassurance, not only is God going to come and renew things, renew the wilderness, but he's also, this is a reassuring word, he's not just coming for creation, he's coming to save you. And if you're anxious of heart, says Isaiah, don't worry, God's coming. And the suffering that the people are experiencing in their exile, maybe the suffering that you've experienced in your life, Isaiah is saying, listen, it's no match for the joy and the life that God will bring when he comes. Yes, it's real. We're not minimizing that. But he, Isaiah, wants to inspire us, inspire an unsteady people, an anxious people. Have you ever felt weak and unsteady? I feel like that after holding my kids for a while. The other day I was just like, oh, my back. You know? As we are weak and unsteady and in pain from the issues in our lives, God says, reassurance, I'm going to come and rescue you. God is faithful to us even when we are in a place of anxiety. And so then you get this great sense of rescue, and it actually means the transformation of people. Look at verses 5, 6, 7, right? Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame man leaps like a deer, The tongue of the mute sing for joy. And then you get again creation's response as God comes. The waters break forth in the wilderness, streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become like a pool. Right? This is again the reverse of the curse of Eden. And this sense of of people being redeemed and ransomed makes us think back to the Exodus again. Here's people in slavery in Egypt and God calling them out. But now here we have people in Babylon and people enslaved to sin. God is calling them into new life through his return. So you get these people coming back, being liberated, and then you finally get verses 8, 9, 8, 9, 10. God calling the people to come. So not just God showing up, but God rescuing and liberating people to join him. You get that, that reference to the highway, almost like the path to walk on. It's clearly marked. Here's how you come back into relationship with God. Here it is and the redeemed shall walk there, he says. So we've got an incredible sense of renewal as God comes, the sense of reassurance as God comes. Listen, you who are anxious, it's going to be okay. And then also this great sense of rescue. Not only is God coming and transforming things and transforming our world, dealing with evil, 
and setting things right and dealing with the issues in our hearts, but he's also calling us into new life. And in fact, that probably should be the greatest emphasis of all. God invites all of us into a new, transformed, salvation life as we come into a relationship with him. This promise of transformation uh, is for you. It's for us to walk into. We will not see the fullness of that. I'm going to talk about that in a second here and now. But we live in the hope that when Christ returns, we will see this sort of thing come to its fruition. We get passages like that all over the place. So this sense of, of renewal, of reassurance, of rescue, Isaiah says, keep this in mind. God will not leave you. When God shows up, he changes everything. Got that in your mind? There's Isaiah 35. Now flip to Matthew, Matthew 11. Here we are now. Jesus is here. He is walking among us. Look at 11, verse 2. It's page 816, if you've got one of the few Bibles. Focuses back in on John the Baptist, who's really like the last Old Testament prophet. And he's proclaiming an incredible message. He's proclaiming that God has himself now returned. So all of that hope, all that promise way back in Isaiah 35 had stayed with Israel for several centuries as they're waiting for God to come, waiting for him to show up. And now John the Baptist appears and says, it's actually coming true. Here he comes. Prepare the way. Prepare your hearts. God's coming back. Yahweh is among us. And so here we are. And of course he goes out to the wilderness, right? Prepare the way in the wilderness. Why wilderness? We'll think Isaiah 35. It's out in the wilderness that the people are invited to come back into relationship with God. And of course, I said this last week too, but it's an echo of what happens when God calls Israel out of Egypt. He calls them back out into the wilderness so that through the wilderness they come to the promised land. They come through the Red Sea, through the waters, and then to Mount Sinai where God makes a covenant with them, makes them his people. It's like he marries them. And in the same way, John the Baptist calls them out of their slavery, though it's not out of Egypt now, it's out of Israel itself, out of sin, out of their idolatry, to come back out into the wilderness, through the waters again, and John is baptizing them, right? It's a symbol of the Red Sea, and then he's calling them now back out to the mountain, and what do you find at the mountain is where you meet with God, where he's high and lifted up, and in the Gospels, where's the place where God is high and lifted up? The place of the cross. This is where you meet God. This is where you discover what God's all about. It's at the cross. This is his great love for you. He's not the God who says, uh, I demand these things from you, and then I'll like you. He's the God that lets us kill him. And in that act of selfless love, he transforms our hearts. He removes our sin and invites us into new life. So here's John the Baptist now saying, it's all coming to pass. Here's Jesus. He's the one who's come to, to fulfill Isaiah 35, fulfill all the rest of all this stuff. He's met Jesus, and then it's almost like he has a question about whether, whether this is really him or not. It's kind of weird. I don't know why. But listen to verse 2. He says, now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he's already met Jesus before and baptized him. He's since been arrested. He's not in great shape. I don't know if he's having a relapse of like, I'm not really sure now. Anyway, we can get into that later. That's not the point. The point is, he sends word from his disciples to go up to Jesus and like get this sorted. Is this really him or not? Is this the one we're expecting to come or not? And Jesus says, 
Go and tell John what you hear and see. And then notice what he says. Verse 5, Jesus says, You want to know if I'm really Yahweh returned? You want to know if I'm God among you? You want to know if Isaiah 35 is being fulfilled? Listen to what's happening as I come. Go and tell John what you see. The blind receiving sight. The lame walking. Lepers cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. What's he saying? What's, the, what's he getting at here? Jesus is responding to John's question by saying, remember what happens when God shows up in Isaiah 35? That's what happens when Yahweh shows up. People are healed. People are transformed. It's actually coming to pass now. And then he invites John into that. It says, you put, you connect the dots, John. Look at what's happening as I come. It's fulfilling all the promises we've all held for so long. But what happens when God shows up? Basically, Jesus says, I'm fulfilling Isaiah. You decide if you want to be part of this or not. You decide whether now, John, you want to walk in that way, to step out on the highway and join into the new life that's happening as I come. It's this new life as Jesus comes, God with us, Emmanuel, right? The Word became flesh and dwelled among us. We beheld His glory through grace and truth, says John. It's a new life that's been inaugurated by Jesus and will be completed when He comes again. It's inaugurated in the sense that, yes, we experience moments of this, don't we, where people are healed, we, we have the resurrection of Jesus himself, the miracles that Jesus did, miracles that happened in our churches, uh, things that happened in our lives where we go, oh my goodness, God is at work. So we have that happening, obviously. And at the same time, as I said earlier, there's still brokenness in the world. There's still people who aren't healed. There's still people who die in terrible circumstances. And we think, what on earth is going on with that? And the Bible makes sense of that. It's important to say, um, the Bible's quite aware of that. And it's not, a, it's not really a problem for the Bible or for the Christian. There's this sense in which the kingdom has come now. It's been inaugurated by Jesus. In fact, if you read the beginning of Luke 4, it's that classic text where Jesus comes into the synagogue. And he's invited to read from Isaiah. And he gets the scroll and he unrolls it. And he reads the place here where it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives. The recovery of sight to the blind, right? This is Isaiah 35 again. Uh, oppressed are going to be free. This is the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolls up the scroll and he gives it to the attendant. And he says, today the scripture is being fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus comes and inaugurates the new kingdom of God that Isaiah and the prophets look forward to. But we all know that there's still brokenness in our world. God knows that too. And that's why you have the return of Jesus. This is what we now look forward to, that we now long for, when Christ comes again and will set things to right. And I want to read this little bit from Revelation 21, 22, because it's so important. Revelation 21, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Here now is the fulfillment of that renewal of the kingdom. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street. 
And on each side of the river stood the tree of life. What's that from? This is Eden, right? That's the Eden tree of life, but now it's planted in the city, which is very cool. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. In some sense, in the new creation, when God comes again, there is a work of healing that will still need to be done. And God calls us as the church to begin to live out that healing promise here and now today. There's this sense, here we are, the throne of God and the Lamb will be in the same. His servants will serve him. They will see his face. His name will be on their foreheads. There'll be no more night. They'll reign forever and ever. We get this sense, of course, that as Jesus comes, we see things like the healing of healing of people's bodies. I've seen healings uh, just in church life, and many of you have. Many of you experienced healing. These are signs of the kingdom of God come now among us. But we also recognize there's pain and death and brokenness. God will come again and end the curse of death once and for all. And so we see Isaiah 35 being fulfilled as he invites us into new life, as Jesus comes and restores things and invites us into salvation through his death on the cross. But we also look forward to that day when he'll make everything new, fully come. What's the, what's the truth that Isaiah and Matthew invite us to today? I think the main thing for us, folks, is this. Um, and I've said it already, but I just want to say it again. God, God will not abandon you. Whatever sort of sense of curse or darkness or brokenness or evil that you are finding yourself facing in life. Maybe it's a fantastic season. Like, good for you. That's great. Well done, you. You're probably in the minority. Rest of us have issues, you know. God won't abandon you in the brokenness and evil of your life. He won't abandon you in the habitual sin that you struggle with. He cares about you too much to just leave you there. And he's come and broken the power of sin and death at the cross, and he now invites you into new life. He invites you to walk on the path of the redeemed, as Isaiah says, to enter into a loving relationship with him, to enter into a friendship with him. He's going to renew creation. He wants to reassure us of that. He wants to reassure us that he will rescue us. But he invites us into a new life with himself. And interestingly, that's where Isaiah goes, right? It's not just about God coming, but it's about him preparing the way for everyone to be rescued out of exile. And you may not know it, but you may be in exile this morning. You may be in a place where you've never you've never given your heart to the Lord. You, You've tried to just make a good sense of life on your own, the best you can, but you know deep down there's something missing. And God invites you this morning to choose to walk with him, to enter into relationship with him, to choose a new life, to choose God's renewal, God's reassurance, and God's rescue. This is the call of John the Baptist, right? Prepare the way God is coming, and what are you going to do about it? Will you repent and turn to God and give your life to Jesus? Or will you ignore him and choose your own life, your own own sin or your own selfishness the best that you can, but ultimately scorning the one who's made you (coughs) to himself? This is what Jesus says even in the rest of that Matthew passage. He says, why did you go out and see John in the first place, right? Why did you go? Did you go to, to see someone wear fancy clothes? Well, those people live in the palace. John wasn't wearing fancy clothes. John dresses like Elijah purpose, right? John being crazy? Did you go to see a crazy person? Maybe. Maybe you did. 
says, no, you went up to see a prophet, and prophets call you to action. Prophets call you back to faithfulness to God. John calls you to repentance. Prepare your hearts for me to come. He's the messenger going ahead. So you can repent and believe. And that's the question that these passages leave us with. And it's the question that rings through history right to this morning. What about you? What will you do with Jesus? Will you embrace him? God with us, Emmanuel? Or will you look and wait for someone else or something else, some other feeling, some other worldview, some other experience to sort of set your life by? Will you put off Jesus or will you come to the one who has chosen to enter our human history, the mess in the muddle of our lives, and rescue you from sin and from evil? And the call through all these passages is to consider where you stand, right? Isaiah talks about God's vengeance. And the psalm passage that's linked to today talks about God coming to deal with the wicked. And get this sense, as C.S. Lewis puts it, God's not a tame lion. He's good, and he loves us. He's holy. He won't abide sin. He'll deal with the brokenness and the evil in our world. And he's come to do that by rescuing us, by dying in our place, rising again, opening up a new way to God so we can have life. So that's the question for us this morning. What will you do with Jesus? Will you enter the, enter the, the invitation that God has to come and transform your life, to bring renewal in the desert of your life? Will you let Jesus come and save you? Or are you waiting for something else? And as we come to this feast today, we're going to come as family. It's a celebration of all that we've been blessed with of, of, of this year and a celebration of the volunteers that make this church function without, without you, all of you who serve in a variety of ways. This is like a big thank you to you as we celebrate what Jesus has done in us and in our city and in our families. But most importantly, we need to make sure we've set our hearts on Jesus. Say, Lord, I need you just as much today as ever to come set things right in my life. So I'm going to invite us to pray as we celebrate the King who's come. And I encourage you, if you're in a place today where you feel in a desert or in a wilderness, where you've never given your heart to the Lord, today's a good morning to become a Christian. Say, yeah, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want the life that you promise. I want you to come and transform brokenness. I need to give you my heart. Save me if you have questions about that, we'd love to talk to you just out of the service. Let's pray together. God, I thank you that you haven't given up on your world. I thank you that you haven't given up on us. And I thank you that for each and every one who's here, you, you see us, Lord. You, you love us. You desire for us to walk with you, to be in relationship with you. And Lord, I just pray for those that maybe have never made that decision, that you would call them to, Lord, put that on their hearts today, to choose to walk with you, to give their hearts to you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you call us uh, into new life. And as we look at Isaiah and Matthew, there's the sense, Jesus, that as you come, things get transformed, and things get renewed, and, and you reassure us that you're actually there for us, you actually love us. Um, Lord, some of us have forgotten that. I pray you would reignite that in our hearts that you actually are kind and 
and caring and gracious and good. Uh, Lord, we also we also realize there's brokenness in our world and it grieves us, and we know it grieves your heart. Um, Jesus, would you help us to be a light in darkness? Lord, to point people to you, the one who's come to redeem us and rescue us. And Lord, we, we, we wait in anticipation of that day when you will come and make all things new. And we, we hold in our hands the, the areas of our life that are broken, the areas we need healing and renewal, whether that's physically or emotionally or our mental health, Lord, or our marriages and our families and our, our workplaces. Lord, there's so many areas where we, we need a touch of your goodness and your grace. So, Lord, we just hold these things before you today. We pray that you would come, uh, set things to right. Lord, give, give guidance and patience and grace and joy to your people this morning. Lord, we thank you that you came uh, to set us free from sin, that we could live with you. And as we uh, join in in this meal or this afternoon, we do so looking ahead to that day when we will join with you at the marriage supper. Lord, looking forward to that day when you will come, return again to dwell with us. So Lord, bless your people, we pray today. Lord, convict us. Show us where we need to uh, lay down some things and uh, give us that sense, Lord, of choosing to want to follow after you. We pray you would stir that in our hearts today. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, how are we all 